Okay. <laughs> uh, my name is Rebecca Naylor. Uh, I welcome you all to this session. As you can tell, our topic is Women in Medical Missions. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about this afternoon. Uh, I have been in medical missions for a little over 40 years. And uh, so I guess they thought I might know something about it. <laughs> but I'm happy to be here and um, I'll just share some things. And then we'll have some time at the end for you to ask questions um, that may have come to your mind or may have been in your mind before you even came. And so you can be thinking uh, as we move along what you would like to ask. Now, um, we have options. We can have the lights just like this. We can have these off and those on. We can have those off and these on. <laughs> Do you, I don't know how easy it is to see this. Is it all right the way it is? Why don't we start like this, and if it's a problem, just, you know, we'll stop. Okay. Well, the questions that we want to deal with this afternoon are really these. Uh, do women have a unique role in mission service? What are some of the challenges for women in missions? And how can I as a woman prepare for a career in missions? When we think about, you know, the classic ways in which women over the years and centuries have been involved in missions, Certainly, women are very strong in prayer support for missions. They are nurturing. They mobilize support in finance. They are actually involved in domestic missions, especially urban, like social ministries and evangelism. And then, of course, they're very involved in international missions. And when we think about um, women in international missions, um, the opportunities for a meaningful ministry for women internationally is perhaps even more than it is here at home. Women are often pioneers in very dangerous places. Um, they are very capable church planters. Uh, they, um, they're eager to train local national leaders in church planting. Because of being a woman, they're probably not going to lead the church themselves in most cases. And therefore, they are very excellent at training national leadership. Um, often, uh, women have been involved in work with women and children. I think that is natural. It is an open door and an opportunity. Uh, in health care, that is especially true. Women have access to women. And in many cultures... Men do not have access to women, and therefore uh, they have a unique role. Uh, as women missionaries have often been involved in the field of education, certainly in health care, linguistics, and another area in which women have had a significant role is in writing about missions. Uh, often women are very capable at telling the mission story. What are some unique opportunities that women can have. Um, they have this special ability to reach uh, women. Um, they are often invited into homes, 
especially, you know, if you're a married missionary and you have kids, your children may be the door openers that will get you into homes as they relate to other children, usually without barriers that we adults may have. Um, That is a special opportunity. Um, If you look at the dangerous situations, if you look at a hostile situation, very often it is the women who are able to stay longer. It's kind of ironic because they look on women as not a threat, and therefore they kind of let them hang around. Uh, And uh, so that's something to think about. Uh, Tucker said this, Missionary service is one of the few vocations in which women have been more prominent in adverse situations than men. J. Herbert Kane said this, The more difficult and dangerous the work, the higher the ratio of women to men. That's a big compliment to us, I think. But having said all that, let me read this quote. My honest opinion is that many of the ladies I've known have been superior to many of our male workers in all that goes to constituting the true missionary. Their intense earnestness, their love to the people, their zeal, their untiring energy, and their long-suffering patience have been far greater than in the men. That was in 1881 that this missionary man thought that. But... There are challenges, and that's what we want to spend a few minutes talking about. What are the challenges that women would need to face? Um, In sort of preparing this, uh, there were two main sources that I used. One was active women health care missionaries. There were eight that participated in my little questionnaire. And also there is a book by Ruth Tucker called Guardians of the Great Commission which is a a wonderful little book to read. It's very inspiring. So what are the challenges that we as women in missions face? First of all, there is that challenge of balance of family and ministry. Um, It's a balance that is very difficult to achieve. Um, You have responsibilities as a leader. You'll have responsibilities as a healthcare professional. Uh, there are ministry responsibilities. You may be a mother. Uh, then there are all the lost people around you, and you have responsibility with them. Um, a lot of uh, things are pressing in upon you as a woman. Um, what you expect to be able to do may not be what you do. Um, Your husband's position, if you're married, may be dominant. He may be gone for periods of time, uh, traveling, working. You're left at home, maybe with kids, and and you sort of feel like, well, you know, why am I here and what can I do? Um, It may be for a season, and always remember that. It's, It's not like it's signed on for eternity that it's going to be that way. Uh, You may have to homeschool your children. Um, Again, for a season, they will grow up. Um, One of the hardest things that I think women in missions face is separation from their children. Sometimes that happens fairly early. Very often it happens in high school. And, of course, almost always it happens in college. 
And I've read over and over accounts from women who describe that the pain that is there in separating over a long distance from their children. And then, as I said, the expectations, not only what you expect may not be as, as reality, but others may expect something from you which isn't what you expected them to expect of you. And, and there can come conflict can arise from that, and, and one should be alert to that and mindful about it. Well, you may not be married. What about the single missionary? And I will tell you, I've been single all these years. Um, you may not have chosen that path, but it happened to you. And so there you are as a single missionary. Um, there's a book that I can recommend. It's written by Jeannie Lockerbie. It's entitled By Ones and By Twos. Um, you kind of get the drift. She said that when people uh, would ask her, are you married? She would respond, no, my husband died at birth. Um, that, w- that was her standard response. Um, you, uh, sometimes your fellow missionaries even may be a bit condescending. Um, they often refer to single ladies as, you know, unclaimed treasures. That can kind of distress you. Um, they may not, even your fellow missionaries, but certainly your national partners, just may not quite know what to do with you. Uh, I served in the country of India. Um, single women were very rare in that culture. And if they were single, they kind of remained at home with parents, even as adults, even if working. And, and you know, they couldn't quite figure me out. And they, they were very nice, but didn't know how to socialize. So um, these are some of the things that, that may happen. Uh, you may occasionally get dumped on because you're single. They will say, oh, she doesn't have a family, and uh, she has so much free time. And so, therefore, uh, she could do all these extra jobs. We'll give her the extra jobs, probably the ones they didn't want to do. And uh, she can do those. So you have to be alert to that as well. Loneliness is a challenge. And this is not unique to being single. This is single and married. Um, you know, women, I think especially, we tend to, we like to relate to other women, the chatting and the, the sharing that goes on. And if that is not available to you, even in the midst of so many people, you can be very lonely. Your husband will be fully engaged in work. You're there with the kids. And there you are. Or you're single, somewhat isolated, and you just wish there was somebody of your own culture that you could relate to. And there isn't. Uh, Loneliness can be certainly uh, an issue. Um, Another challenge we might as well talk about is sex discrimination. Uh, still exists very much today. It exists in the mission community. So you need to be aware of that. Um, women are usually in the majority 
in most missions. Um, there, there are just more women than there are men, mainly because there are more single women than there are single men, and then, of course, the couples. So um, even though they're in the majority, they may not be able to really speak out and be heard. Um, it's not always true, but it may be true. Um, when you demand equality, that is not feminism. Feminism is when you demand equality to, to help, you know, to lodge yourself. That's not why you're doing it as a missionary. It, you're doing it because you have something worthwhile to say. Um, you're not trying to get a position of power. That's not the issue. Um, and yet, really, as you are um, trying to advocate, it's really self-denial because you're called you're totally submitted to God's direction, and yet you, you, in that having been called, you have every right to speak. So that is kind of a thing. Another uh, little contrast is uh, submission and assertion. You say, well, that, you know, to be self-assertive and to be submissive, you are submissive to God's will and direction in your life. Definitely, you are an independent person. You are a health professional. You're trained to think. And you will assert yourself. And that in no way means that you're not submissive. So those may seem a little opposed, but they're really not. Um, Doing men's jobs, but not having men's voice at the table. Your responsibilities may be equal, maybe even more. You may be in a leadership position in, in your professional role, but in the mission context, uh, you're not. And that can present a, a bit of problem. Um, maybe you have ideas, but you don't have representation. When the strategy meetings happen, you aren't there. Having said that, we know that women have been key in founding some very important mission organizations. For example, Gospel Recording, uh, Missionary Aviation Fellowship, thought up and founded by a woman, uh, a method of language learning that we use all over the world today is language acquisition made practical, LAMP. A woman figured that out. So, yes, sometimes they're influential, but often it's hard to get a voice. Lottie Moon was a missionary in China. She was not health care. She was education uh, back in the uh, 19th uh, century. And uh, she, first of all, couldn't be sent to China because she was single. Okay, so the sex discrimination began. But finally, they said, oh, well, okay, if God has called you. So after years of advocating, she finally got sent. She started a girls' school she was teaching, but she really was burdened about the people in the villages that had no witness, didn't know about Jesus, and she wanted to go live in the villages. Well, they all said, you can't go alone and live in the villages. Well, she went anyway. And then she was not supposed to talk to men. 
that was said to be wrong. Well, she said, with all these heathen men dying without Jesus, how can I not tell them about Jesus? And what she did was to train men to be the leaders, and that resulted in multiplication. And many, many people came to faith, and many churches were started. But she constantly faced this issue of sex discrimination, which is just kind of interesting. And you say, well, that was, you know, 100 plus years ago. Uh, Yes, but it still is not much different today. So it may have a little different uh, uh, clothes on, but it looks, it's really inside just the same. Well, challenge. Okay, we've talked about the challenges. How can you get over them and go up uh, with these challenges? Uh, That's what we really need to talk about. So meeting challenges, the very basis of your serving as a woman in medical missions is your call. That has to be primary. It has to be reviewed. It has to constantly be renewed. Um, Just because there are a lot of people in our world who are sick and poor and have uh, refugees and they're whatever, that does not constitute a call. Just you got to go help them. That is not a call. God calls you to a very specific role, and that is mission service. So that is that is uh, primary. In Proverbs three five and six, it says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding." In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So, submit everything. You're single. You don't say, yeah, I'll go be a health care missionary if God will let me get married. Everything gets laid on the table. And you trust him. He will direct. And when he directs, the next step is obedience. So, You have to be obedient to what God tells you. Another part of meeting challenges, you're there. You need to be flexible. We always kind of laugh, but it was so true. Simply adjust. Okay, so it isn't like you thought it would be. It's a problem. Just simply adjust. Just cool it. And adjust your expectations. There's no way to really know what it's going to be like when you get there. But it's only normal for all of us to imagine what it will be like and what we will do and all the marvelous things we're going to accomplish and all the people we're going to treat and make well. Yes, that's wonderful. But it may not, you know, just immediately turn out like that. And you adjust your expectations and go back to the fact that God called you. Another thing that you do is develop relationships. And this is important. Um, Hopefully, some relationships with other women. Uh, We women kind of need that. And there may be missionary colleagues who are women. There could be national colleagues and friends. There could be even women in your, your neighbor's. But develop 
relationships. Um, hospitality is a real important key for women in missions. Um, I think this is true both for single and married. I surely know it's true for singles. Um, as a single person, if they don't quite know what to do with you and they're not too sure uh, about inviting you, you just invite them. And your social life can be very full. And um, that's what I would suggest you do. Um, one single missionary, in answer to the question about this, wrote and said that the local ladies felt so sorry for her that she was alone. They couldn't understand it. You know, it was beyond them. And, but they felt sorry for her. And she had so many invitations to homes from so many people that she was just constantly running on her social calendar. I thought, well, that's a good thing. Um, couples, you know, you're, you're both called individually, but you're also called as a couple. It does not mean that each of you is going to be doing the same thing, but your ministries will complement each other uh, towards your target people or, or toward the, the thing that you're, your strategy that you're trying to achieve. Um, Lottie Moon that I just talked about made this comment on marriage after she had broken an engagement. God had first claim on my life, and since the two conflicted, there could be no question about the result. Um, So capitalize on singleness. If you're married, have a true partnership with your husband and complement each other in ministry. Uh, The first medical missionary doctor that was ever sent overseas was this lady named Clara Swain. And in 1870, she was sent to India. Uh, You can look her up and read about her as you have time and wish to. But she treated 1,500, 2,000 patients a year and was very focused on sharing Jesus with her patients. She'd been there about 15 years when the Muslim prince of that part of India came to her and said, you do such good work, would you consider being the physician for all the women in my palace? And she became the royal physician. Um, Open doors. And always kept the gospel primary. Another... uh, kind of a hero of mine, uh, Dr. Ida Scudder. Uh, Maybe you've heard her story, a marvelous story. This lady grew up as a missionary child in India. Her daddy was a doctor, missionary doctor. And uh, eventually Ida went back to America to college. And she came back to India just to visit her parents for, you know, a short time. One night... Uh, while there in this town in India, uh, three different men in succession came to the door of the house seeking help for their wife in labor. And then when they found out the doctor was her dad and a man, they said, no, you can't come. And the next day there were three funeral processions through the town. 
And she was, God used that to call her into medicine and missions. So she came back to America. She went to medical school and went back to India, and she started the Christian Medical College for women in 1901 in South India. After independence in the late 40s, uh, it became co-educational. Today, it is a premier medical institution, uh, the number two Uh, training institution in South Asia. The number one is in New Delhi and it's the government uh, institution, research hospital. A great story. Um, I'm going to share with you now just a little bit about my own story since I've been a woman in medical missions. And uh, then we'll kind of wrap it up and we will get your questions. Uh, I felt... I first came to know Jesus as my Savior when I was five years old. My father was a pastor, and um, I had probably, I guess, the first Bible verse I learned when I was, what, two or so was, God is love. And by the time uh, I was five, I understood that uh, I, I was disobedient, I was sinful, I understood what Jesus had done for me, and my parents led me to faith. Um, I was a young teenager of 13, having already felt interested in becoming a doctor, when God called me into medical missions. And so it was that I continued from that time on to prepare to, to serve. I was a resident in general surgery in Dallas um, for these five years. And um, if you notice in my final year picture, uh, there were no other women. So I know about a man's world and a little bit about sex discrimination uh, and earning your uh, earning respect uh, from colleagues, which I did. Um, but had wonderful surgical training, and at that point went with the Southern Baptist International Mission Board to serve in the country of India. My assignment was to work as a surgeon in the Bangalore Baptist Hospital in South India. When I went, Bangalore was a city of one and a half million people, and uh, I had never lived in any city so big as that before. And the hospital was new, had just opened. The morning I went to work, there were 12 patients uh, in, the, in the ward. And we were seeing about 60 or so in the clinics each day. Uh, there were six doctors, three of whom were missionaries and three were nationals. And uh, so it was that, that it all began. Um, the hospital in 1989 was given over to that Christian Medical College in Velour that Ida Scudder had started. Uh, they began to manage our hospital. Um, in the 1990s, we were able to begin educational programs. And over these 40, what, two years, uh, there has just been a steady growth of the institution. Uh, Obviously, I worked in clinic. I saw patients. It was a wonderful opportunity not only, of course, to take care of them, but also to um, talk about Jesus. Uh, It didn't happen all the time, but it happened often. And as they would express problems, concerns, and just like people here, it was easy to say, well, you know, um, when I have trouble in my life like that, uh, could I tell you how I deal with it? 
and the help I have. And then I would begin to tell them my own story about Jesus. Um, Obviously, I worked as a surgeon, and um, I prayed with every patient before surgery, always with permission, and I never had anybody refuse. Um, Our patients were about 85-90% Hindu, and the rest were Muslims, and um, all kinds of people from wealthy private patients to the very poorest villager. Um, You will do jobs as a missionary that you were not trained to do and that you perhaps did not even want to do and that you really never dreamed of doing. And one of those was that I could contribute to the population problems of India. (laughs) And uh, I delivered many hundreds and hundreds of babies and uh, was the main gynecologist for a long time. Um, So that uh, was another thing. Uh, Another thing (laughs) that, uh, that I did that I never expected to do was administration. Um... I became the CEO of the hospital in the, after I'd been there about t- less than 10 years. And um, one day, uh, after just a, a few months, I was, uh, obviously then, we didn't have computers. And I was sitting there with all the stacks of files and papers, all the payroll, everything was done manually. And, um, and I looked at those papers and thought, how can I tell these papers about Jesus? Why did God put me here? It was when I was in the clinic that I could talk to people about Jesus. And what can I do in this room with these files? Well, two things. First of all, I discovered that I had administrative gifts that I didn't know I had. But second of all, this position opened a totally new world of contacts that I would have never had. I was relating to lawyers, architects, contractors, vendors, all kinds of people in our city, professional people, who are very difficult to access. And now, I was seeing them every day, you know, and uh, could lead the hospital in always presenting itself as a Christian institution. Um, I also, the third thing I learned was, that God will make you competent to do whatever it is he calls you to do. Um, I had to uh, oversee, administer, take care of, uh, negotiate building buildings. Uh, I am not um, strong in mechanical or technical things like that, but God made me adequate to do that. I learned. Um, And so that's just part of of what may happen to you. Another area in which I was involved was education. As I said, we started training programs in the 90s. We started with allied health, um, lab techs, x-ray techs, um, dietitians, medical records technicians, And then we began residency training for doctors, first in four departments. Today it's nine. And then in 1996, we started the nursing school. Um, And I was able to teach for six years uh, anatomy and physiology in the nursing school. I loved it. Of all the things I think I ever did, 
Uh, maybe not more than surgery itself, but almost anything else. I enjoyed teaching those nursing students. Um, these students, um, 90% of the girls came from very poor socioeconomic background, and this was somewhat intentional on our part to provide an education for them. And they were so motivated. I've taught all levels. I've taught in seminary in America. I've taught medical school in America. And I've taught other things in India, and I've never seen anybody that motivated. Um, I said that I used my home. Uh, one of the things I did every Christmas was to invite people. Again, uh, I was single. I was far from home. I didn't have family. And uh, my very first Christmas, I'd been there uh, just four or five months, and I was able to invite four people to tea. <laughs> that was a big deal. Um, my last year in India, I had an invitation list of over 200. And I invited professional people, business people, pastors, all religions, people who only saw each other once a year at my house. And it became like a social event of the season. Um, it was a wonderful witness opportunity. Um, you know, my, my little meager Christmas decorations that I had with me in India. Um, one year a Hindu doctor asked me about a nativity scene. And he wanted to know more detail. And uh, one day uh, the Christmas tree was in a pot. So every year I had to get a new one because it would outgrow the pot. A uh, little Norwegian pine tree in a pot. And uh, one year somebody asked me about the Christmas tree, and I talked about Evergreen and then moved right into Everlasting Life uh, with Jesus. So using my home socially and as a, an opportunity of witness. Uh, if I had not been a doctor, I would have been a musician, um, and I played the piano for many years and all through college, and then um, I went to medical school. And so piano kind of lost and went by the wayside for the next several years. And it was totally my pleasure. I took a piano to India. And uh, it, was, it was for me. I never dreamed that I would use that gift and talent in India. I mean, you know. Well, we organized a hospital choir. And they sang in English. Uh, we had about 30 people, from doctors down to helpers, and only two of the 30 could read music. And they had to be taught their part of saying harmony. And they learned by rote repetition. And we um, did concerts, which were excellent PR for the hospital and a tremendous witness for Jesus. We sold out the biggest hall in the city on multiple occasions. Um, we were well known. Uh, we did a drama with another Christian choir in town. Uh, a manual has come. It has the first parts the birth and the second parts the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, it was it was a big deal. I've never been involved in anything like that before. But the first part, the the Christmas part, was on national TV out of Delhi. 
So uh, God gave opportunity that I never expected. Uh, And I was very much involved from the beginning in evangelism and church planting. I've told you a little already about how I shared with patients. I led a service for patients every Sunday in the hospital chapel, told Bible stories. I did discipleship ministry with young professionals, doctors, nurses, staff, um, and then worked with national pastors in um, encouraging them and in doing village evangelism. Uh, my last 10 years of my 36 years of service were uh, leading and setting strategy for church development in our state, which then had a population of 55 million. So uh, that also was part of the role that I had. The hospital today is uh, 300 beds. It's quite large. Uh, I never dreamed it would look like this. Uh, treating about 250,000 patients in a year in the hospital and then all of our clinics and outreaches in addition to that. Um, 300 beds, multi-specialty, uh, high-level care. Um, and on my uh, 70th birthday, God gave me this verse. Uh, literally, I mean, I just saw it, and it was that very day. Um, And it's kind of the the sum of the story. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. And that is my prayer. So now back to wrap up. What about you? What, What about you? What are the next steps? You're, you're different ages in this room. You're at different places in your life. You're considering different things. You're searching for what God would have for you to do. What are the next steps? If you're young or if you're older, we need to constantly develop and strengthen our spiritual disciplines, our time in God's Word, our time in prayer, uh, memorizing scripture, um, these fellowship with other believers. Uh, I know very well as a healthcare professional that it can be hard to, to be active in a church fellowship, but it is possible. It takes decision and it takes determination, but that is important. Um, so develop your spiritual disciplines. Learn about the world. Uh, I think we Americans especially tend to be kind of, you know, we just aren't so aware of what all goes on. But now, you know, with the Internet and the technology we have, you can just know about anything. And as you learn about it, you pray for it. Um, You know, find out about things. It would be great for you younger folks that are considering long-term mission service especially to connect with a missionary mentor. A missionary in the same profession that you're either studying or you've entered into. And and it's long distance. It's not going to be face-to-face probably. Uh, It will be an email or Skype mentoring. But 
you also could connect with a missionary mentor who maybe has retired and is back in the U.S. That would just give another dimension to it. Uh, you who are older and you're thinking maybe a volunteer service or maybe even God is calling you for a longer period, um, you too can be mentored. And I encourage you in that. Uh, read missionary biographies. I found that so helpful, so important. Um, that story I told you about Dr. Ida, I probably first read it when I was 10. I've read it, I've read that book three or four times before I even went to medical school. Um, missionary biographies. And they don't have to be healthcare people. It's great if they are. There are a lot of those out there. But um, it, to see how God works in their lives, to see how God sustains, to see how God can just use any ordinary person who is submitted to Him. You don't just start sharing your faith when you go somewhere. You start now. You start day by day. At work, at school, wherever. Um, you know, a lot of people I know, that, especially my age, uh, folks that I now live with in America, uh, say, well, you know, most of my life I just go around and I just see Christian people. To which I say, well, then go somewhere else. You know, change your, change your routine. Find somewhere. Uh, you know, this day and time, it seems like everybody goes to Starbucks, uh, which that's another issue. But uh, I, I knew a lady that, that she would go almost every day and sit down and start praying. Lord, show me who is in this room right now that I need to talk to. And almost invariably, it happened. And she would have a spiritual conversation. So, you know, um, start sharing your faith now. The world has come to us. You can find in any community cross-cultural opportunities. And this would be a great way to sort of start, you know. And uh, there are international students. There are people in the business community. There are lots of healthcare professionals, tons of them. Um, just look around you. Uh, and the, the challenges that we've talked about, some of them, like loneliness, they're experiencing. They may be in the middle of a job and people, but they're lonely. So um, I challenge you to do that. And then, of course, professionally, we're talking about women in medical missions. What is the professional preparation that you make? Some of your students, you need to study, you need to learn well, you need to be a good steward of your education, and you need to complete it. Uh, others of you, I challenge our, our missionary personnel. They need to keep their certifications up to date and current and viable. Um, and so uh, professionally, we don't ever stop learning. I think any individual should be a lifelong learner, but for sure in the healthcare arena, we are lifelong learners. 
And that's just something you signed on for. So um, I, I encourage you to prepare professionally. Uh, these are comments from the little survey I did. Never set limits on God or be driven by your feelings and know that health care can be the most effective way of reaching hearts with the healing of the gospel. I asked the question, what gives you joy amidst everything? And this woman answered, seeing friends come to Christ, giving someone their first Bible, baptizing new believers, Partnering, partnering with the local church and working together. So again, I leave you with the verse I quoted earlier. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So we have some time now for questions. Your box supper will not be ready quite yet. Though I'm sure you're very hungry. And um, so are there some questions you'd like to ask? Yes. Um, In what ways do you feel like being a woman benefited you in, like, avenues that maybe men can't go? Um, Because, like, even the story you told that the man didn't want um, the other man delivering babies. Like, did you experience some of those um, doors opening where men wouldn't have been able to I think the main difference it made for me was a kind of a bigger picture, and that was the the opportunities I had to work without family responsibility. I was just much more free, and it wasn't because someone else imposed that on me. It was always when I worked, you know, obviously it, I say it was my choice. Well, it was I'd chosen the profession. But um, I I was just able to really give myself and and things like the discipleship ministries after work and things like that, which had I had a family, I wouldn't have been able to do that so effectively. I think the other thing probably was in the area of obstetrics and gynecology. And um, it was true that the first 10 years we didn't have a person in that specialty, and I was the surgeon, and so it fell my lot. But also because of the culture, they wanted a woman. And by the time, you know, all this had, 10 years had gone, I was pretty well established as that. Um, And women, um, it's somewhat true in America too, but especially in some of those cultures, they are better able to confide in another woman. Uh, which opened some opportunities of witness that I wouldn't have had. I never really, um, I think because I was a foreigner and because I was a professional person, I didn't have a real problem uh, with the community. They respected me. Um, You know, uh, I I was careful to try to learn culture and language and do all that, but... um, I think it was it was kind of more than that. I don't know if that helped. Yeah. Someone else. Um, how was the language barrier? Like, how did you deal with that? It's very important, I think, that you that you learn language, um, and that's um, I did not deal well with it because when I arrived, I had to go immediately to work, and I wasn't 
I was told to be a doctor part-time and to be a language student part-time. There isn't any way to be a doctor part-time. So I was a full-time doctor and still trying to do four hours a day of language. And you can know what the result of all that was. Um, And I I learned, but my fluency was never like it should have been. And Bangalore is so cosmopolitan. There's seven major languages spoken by the patients. Uh, I learned the one that half the patients spoke, which was the, the main one. But then there were the six others. Well, English, I had one. Um, so I was dependent on translators. And um, that's not your most effective communication. I, I learned. I mean, you can do it. But it's never... Um, fortunately, the translators that worked with me in clinic were followers of Christ who were were on exactly the same wavelength I was and could so effectively communicate whatever I was trying to communicate about faith issues. So, um, but language is so important. It really is. And I, I, I think of all the things in my career that where I fell short, that was it. Yes. Uh, Southern Baptist International Mission Board is one which funds its missionaries. And so I was extremely blessed uh, to serve under that mission board. Um, The time came in the hospital in the 80s when we began to have to raise money for the hospital, which, you know, that was kind of a new venture, too, that I had to learn. Um, But for buildings and things like that, we had to raise money. But for my own personal support, I was well supported by my mission board, and I was very, very grateful because I could fully focus on my work and not be concerned um, about where where the next meal was coming from. Can you just speak for a moment about mobilizing youth and mobilizing the population of people at the inner retirement going to the mission field? Um, we need youth and we need the retirees both. <laughs> and we'd like to mobilize both. In fact, that's my chief job right right now is mobilization. Um, we, first of all, the, I think, to have to say this, people need to be aware of the lostness of our world. You need to have a very basic, clear, scriptural understanding of what it means to be lost. You need to know that the people in our world, most of them, are lost. And as you learn about the world, as you learn about missions, as you study God's Word, and as you make yourself available, then God's going to speak to you. Does He call everybody to go be a missionary overseas? No. Does he call some to be here? Absolutely. So um, in mobilizing, whether it's young people or the older people, uh, we make them aware of needs. We talk about what the Bible says. 
and um, the opportunities. And it's up to the Holy Spirit to work in them. And God calls them through the work of His Spirit in them. Someone else, yes? Uh, I, I never had a computer, of course, in all the years I was there. Uh, so I read journals. Um, I had a wonderful mentor from residency days, a believer, uh, a man who sent me journals. And then when I came home on my home assignments, I would have to go to meetings, do the hours, um, I went to a few meetings in India, but, but the American uh, folks didn't recognize those hours. So um, it's very difficult. It is very difficult. And I think it's harder for nurses than it is for doctors. Um, but it's very important. So if you're serving overseas, I think every time you come home on your home assignments ahead of time, because if you wait till you get here, it's too late. You need to develop a plan of, of how, okay, in this six months or this one year or whatever it is you have, how will you achieve this? But I, I would, uh, not only is it so, imp- it's important for several reasons. One, it means you're going to give people the very best care wherever it is you serve. Number two, it means your certifications are in order in the uh, event that God brings you back to America and you need a job. And three, in almost every country in the world, much more than in America, credentials are so important. They like certificates and, you know, more papers you've got, the, you know, the better, the happier they are. And you've got to keep governments somewhat happy. So those are reasons that you need to keep that certification intact. Anyone else? There's yet time for another question. Yes? Um, I have so many desires to serve overseas, and there's, there are also so many ways in which you also say, you know, sometimes our services here, our, our field is in the U.S. Um, beyond listening to the call of God and trying to understand where He is calling us, how do you determine that? Um, like, how, how did you choose? God speaks to each of us in different ways, but I believe that God does speak to us. And and back to those Proverbs verses, just saying, Lord, I'm willing to do anything under any circumstances. I don't put any qualifications or ifs, ands, or buts. And you, God, you have promised that you will direct. And God keeps every promise. I can just assure you of that. I know it to be true. So if he has promised to direct, and if you have totally trusted him with everything, he's going to show you. Now, how he will speak to you individually, I don't know. For me, it was just, um, you know, I'd learned about missions 
I had met missionaries. My parents prayed for missionaries. I knew all about missionaries and, and loved missionaries. And, but, you know, so I loved missionaries. And so there are people lost. Yeah, I understood that too. And we had missionaries visiting in our church. And I don't, I couldn't tell you, I know who they were, but I today could not tell you what they said. But it was then. I, I was just, I, I just thought that God had spoken to me. And I've always been a person that it just is a growing impression, I guess is the word, feeling. I, I'm not one who has revelation. Some people do, and that, uh, I'm almost envious. But, you know, and I was so, I was so distressed by it because, uh, one, I didn't want to leave home to even go to college. And second, how could God use me? I was just, who was I? How could I be a missionary? And so I didn't even tell my parents. I didn't tell anybody. And over 18 months, I mean, you know, my dad was my pastor. He'd get up and preach, and I'd think, why is he preaching to me? And, you know, music, songs. I mean, it was so many things that just kept, I couldn't escape. And and after 18 months, I was very certain. And that, then, I, then I told my parents. But God will make it clear. I just promise you that he will because he has promised. And he keeps his promises. You had a question on the front row, and we have two minutes. <laughs> I've been hesitating to ask. You know, you had talked a bit about the discrimination issue, but you were a little bit fuzzy on, like, where it was coming from. And I was just wondering, like, was it your agency? What, what, supervisor? Like, where was it? Okay, discrimination, where was it coming from? It can come from anywhere. It may come from your supervisor. It may come from your agency. Um, I never, you know, I had so much work to do that, I, I knew I was aware of it, but I just, I just ignored it. <laughs> I just ignored it. Um, and uh, my colleagues back here know that I am very, very totally loyal to my agency. All right? I want to say that first. There was no way that I was ever going to have a leadership responsibility in my agency. And I knew it. But, you know, that wasn't God's plan. Uh, it's okay. I had lots to do. And I've had so many privileges. And I am not complaining. But it's there. You know, you, you go to some churches. Okay? And, uh, well, you know, they might allow a two-minute interview, but not any more than that in the service. But my male colleagues would preach the sermon. Okay. Um, these are realities. But you don't need to let that bug you. It doesn't become an issue unless you make it an issue. And you choose the times that you need to be assertive. That's fine. There's no problem. And I am. I speak up. They, they know. My friends know. And, 
you know, in fact, they tease me. If, I, if they want something done, they tell me to go speak because they'll listen to me. Well, but I, I'm careful and I'm respectful when I do it. Thank you so much for your attention. Enjoy your dinner.